Hello and welcome to the RCP Medicine Podcast with me, Dr. Amy Burbridge. I'm a acute physician working in Coventry and today we have a very special guest. Hi, my name is Neris Conway and I am a consultant in acute medicine in the Royal Morgan, Manchester. Thank you so much for joining us today and you are going to talk to us about toxicology. I am. So I thought today I would talk about paracetamol. Mm-hmm. It's very much the bread and butter of what we see are in sort of the toxicology on the take. And roughly about 100,000, there are roughly 100,000 admissions to emergency departments every year in the UK. Gosh. And about 50,000 of those end up as acute hospital admissions. Mm-hmm. So this really, really is a problem, very much the bread and butter for the acute physician. So it is about 150 deaths every year in the UK related to paracetamol liver injury. But things have reduced, things have changed. So since 1998, Mm -hmm. we've significantly reduced the pack sizes, the amount of paracetamol that you can buy. And this has led to about a 40% reduction in paracetamol-related deaths. Gosh. So we have actually achieved something by reducing those pack sizes. But the guidelines, it's not, it's not as straightforward, I don't feel, mm-hmm. as, as they could be. So I just wanted to just sort of explain it to you. So, for example, um, I had a lady fairly recently who presented to the emergency department. She had taken quite a lot of paracetamol. She was unclear, but she said roughly about 60 tablets of paracetamol. Mm-hmm. And she presented fairly early after her overdose. So we took bloods at four hours to look at her paracetamol levels as well as do the baseline bloods as well. So she had taken the medication all at once. So this overdose wasn't staggered. So a staggered overdose by definition is when a patient has ingested the tablets over a period longer than one hour. And it's really clear to ask in the history how long the patient consumed the paracetamol over, okay? Because that really can affect your treatment. So for her, she presented taking the tablets within, she'd taken them within an hour period Mm -hmm. and she presented within an eight hour, within eight hours. So we took paracetamol levels, the paracetamol levels were 162 and she was treated with a 21 hour regime of IV NAC, okay? N-acetylcysteine. Yeah. So okay. that's what you would do. And IV NAC, we've been using that since about the 1970s. <laughs> so we've been using it for a long time and they haven't, they haven't really sort of, they've sort of plucked the 21 hours out of their it's head. It's very random. It's very random. And you get the same amount of IV NAC if you've taken 30 paracetamol as if you've taken 300 paracetamol. Mm-hmm. So it's not very individualized. Mm-hmm. So... That was the case for our lady. If you present within eight to 24 hours of ingesting paracetamol, then if they've taken approximately 150 milligrams per kilogram of paracetamol, Mm -hmm. then start IV NAC. Mm -hmm. If they've taken less than 150 milligrams per Mm -hmm. kilogram, then don't start IV NAC. Just take the bloods that you would have at triage send off a paracetamol level, and then use the nomogram to determine whether or not they need treatment. Okay. Okay? Yeah. If the patient comes in over 24 hours, then don't give them IV NAC unless they're jaundice 
or they've got any evidence of hepatic tenderness, for example. All right. Wait for the bloods to come back. And if the ALT is deranged, if the INR is greater than Mm 1.3, or if the paracetamol level is detectable, then start the IV NAC. Okay. Okay. So essentially, if your bloods are normal, Mm -hmm. you can see psychiatry and then go home. So the whole point of intravenous N-acetylcysteine is to help excretion of the paracetamol from the liver. Yes. Yeah. So the whole point really of management of paracetamol overdose is to prevent liver damage. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. So apart from the paracetamol levels when they come in, what other investigations do we need to do on these patients? So I would just make sure that you do your baseline blood, so full blood count, mm-hmm. UNE, LFTs, CRP, and I would also get a gas and do a bicarbonate as well. Because if the patient's in any trouble, mm-hmm. these will be certain things that the sort of local liver centre will want to know about. Okay. So the lactate level. The lactate okay. level as well. Yeah. And also make sure you do the other things, get an ECG, mm-hmm. um, make sure the patient's not taking anything else as well. Yeah. Okay. So often salicylate. Actually, salicylate isn't something that you need to take. Okay. Fairly regularly now. Yep. Um, just m- unless you obviously are suspecting a salicylate overdose, but it actually forget that and almost just concentrate on the paracetamol level. Okay. So, and you mentioned also clotting as well. Yes. Okay. So, um, this patient you gave her sort of an acetylcysteine to, it's also known as Parvalex. Yes, that right? that's right. Yeah, that's just the trade name for it. So, depending on where you work, they may use another different type. Okay. Is there any problem with giving Parvalex? Yes. So, one of the biggest problems that we have is that it does cause a lot of anaphylactide reactions. And the reason for this is because you're giving such a high concentration of that NAC dose initially, mm-hmm. all right? And it used to be that you gave it over 15 minutes. And now they've increased that to an hour. Mm-hmm. And that has reduced the amount of reaction. Um, so it's not an anaphylaxis reaction, but an anaphylactoid reaction, all right? Mm-hmm. So they're generally quite flushed. One thing that's quite interesting is you obviously then uh, delay in their treatment when you do that. Mm-hmm. So you're stopping the infusion and then you're restarting it half an hour later at a lower rate. Mm-hmm. And then the patient will never be have a longer length of stay. So is there a sort of a different way of using Parvalex or N-acetylcysteine now maybe? You've mentioned that people get 21 hours. Is there another regime that we could potentially use? So in... So currently, at the moment, in Edinburgh, in St. Thomas's in London, and in Newcastle, they have come up with a 12-hour SNAP regime where they're using the same amount of IV NAC, so 300 milligrams per kilogram, but in a much shorter period of time, mm-hmm. okay? So they've been doing a lot of work around this. A recent publication in The Lancet in May actually shows that this is, there's less side effects, the efficacy is the same, mm-hmm. okay? And obviously the patients are having a shorter duration of treatment. Mm-hmm. And they're estimating that this could actually save the NHS about 12 million pounds a year. Wow. Just by reducing... Just by reducing the net. Because obviously, I think the thing with paracetamol is our patients usually come in at night. Mm. By the time they finish their 21-hour infusions, it's the middle of the night and then they have to wait the following day mm-hmm. to see the psychiatrist. Whereas... 
if they're finishing their 12-hour regime, they finish it in sort of the middle of the afternoon, they can see the psychiatry and then they can go home. So your average length of stay is about 30 hours for the 21 regime. Mm -hmm. But actually it's a lot, lot less when you're looking at that 12-hour sort of snap regime. And another thing the same group of toxicologists are doing is they're looking at markers in the blood. So things like MIR-122 or MIA-122 and determining how they could individualize paracetamol treatment. So they're looking at whether the liver has been damaged or not and looking at actually saying, well, actually this patient's not had any liver damage, they could be discharged. Oh yes, this person's taken a considerable amount of, of paracetamol. This level is high and therefore they need more NAC. Gosh. And I think that's the huge issue, I think, with treating paracetamol mm. is it's not individualized at no. all. And in our country, in the UK, we're actually very conservative with our management. So we have got the 100 line at four hours. Mm -hmm. But if you were in Australia, if you're in Canada, New Zealand or America, they've got a 150 line. Right. But then in Denmark, they'll treat everyone. So it's really, really different. There's no consensus Mm -hmm. worldwide of how to manage paracetamol. Mm. And I do think this will change things along with the sort of the new evidence with the SNAP regime, the new biomarkers. And we may be treating paracetamol totally different in five, 10 years time. When I was started training years ago, there used to be a different line. There used to be two lines That's on the right, nomogram. Yeah, absolutely. So there'd be one for people who were sort of had anorexia, were chronic drinkers. There was a theory that acute alcohol ingestion with a paracetamol was good. Yeah. Um, has that gone out the window now? Generally, I mean, we're, you, we're very fixed on using the current nonogram. Obviously, there are special circumstances. So if you've got a patient with already that already has deranged LFTs, then if they're about the same as their baseline, mm-hmm. then generally I wouldn't worry about the ALT too much. Mm-hmm. But if their ALT is considerably higher, for example, than their baseline, then I would consider treating them. And the good thing is you can always phone Talkspace. Yes. A consultant is always more than happy to speak to you if you're a little bit unsure and someone doesn't quite meet the criteria. Mm-hmm. and. Same again, if you've got somebody with a lowish sort of level at um, four hours, so for example, 115, and they're not very compliant, they're not willing to stay for treatment. Mm -hmm. If you imagine you were in Australia, that patient would have been sent home. Mm -hmm. And there you are trying to encourage them to sort of stay. Mm -hmm. Um, That's another case where Talkspace will quite happily take the call and discuss it about the risk assessment that you'll need to perform. Mm -hmm. And Talkspace, are they a 24-hour service? They're a 24-hour service um, available for um, health professionals. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also an Irish number as well that Mm -hmm. if you're practicing in Ireland. Um, There's also for any pregnant patients who you're a bit worried about, there's also if you go onto the UK Tetrology Information Service, there's also a number there you can speak to about pregnant patients. Ah. So just to kind of um, mention one more thing, I think the guidelines really haven't changed since, sorry, hang on, scrap that. Just to mention one more thing about paracetamol Mm -hmm. overdoses, I think it's worth mentioning the staggered overdose. Okay. So a staggered overdose, as I said earlier, is when ingestion occurs over more than one mm. hour. 
I always thought it was longer than that. Yeah. Like days. More than one hour. And okay. Quite often it's non-accidental. So you, you've, we've all been there. You've got the patient. Yeah. They've got a really bad turf ache. They've yeah. taken a lot of paracetamol. They've taken more than they should. They didn't realise. Um, so that's obviously your staggered overdose. Now, in 2012, when the new guidelines came out, it was a case of you treat everyone. And that's really quite difficult. If you imagine how many people that you need to treat. Um, Whereas actually now for just under two years, so just in November 2017, Talkspace actually updated this guidance. And what they said is that you can now start the patient on IVNAC when they come in, if they've got a staggered overdose, Mm -hmm. but take bloods four hours after the last ingestion of paracetamol, Mm -hmm. okay? So take the bloods at four hours. And then if the paracetamol level is less than 10, and the ALT is within the normal range. And if the INR is less than 1.3 and the patient has no symptoms of any liver damage, then you are safe to stop the IV neck. So basically, if your bloods are normal, yep. then it can be stopped. Fantastic. So, so that's fairly recent. Mm, yeah. Because I know historically we keep them on N-acetylcysteine for what felt like a, a very long time. Yes, absolutely. And I think since this new sort of guidance has come out, we're mm-hmm. now able to get our staggered overdoses home a bit more safer than we were. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're saving bedtime as well. Yeah. So it's reducing length of stay, saving the NHS money and better for the patient. Yeah, well. absolutely. absolutely. Because when you're giving them IVNAC, they are at risk of having this quite nasty and very unpleasant anaphylactic yes. reaction. Yeah. And also another thing is you're getting that psychological input a lot earlier in the stay. Because yeah. what you often find is when they're on the 21 hour regime, they're not seeing psychiatry for sometimes 48, 72 hours. Absolutely. So, you know, that can be a very long time to wait for that input. What about oral N-acetylcysteine. I've never used it no. in my practice and I, I can't think of a centre where, where, where they use it. I know that it tastes disgusting. Yeah, okay. They use it a lot in America. Um, okay. But it isn't something that's generally sort of practised here. Okay. And the key thing, I guess, we talked about N-acetylcysteine protecting the liver. So if you think somebody's going to have liver damage, is to keep looking at the liver, isn't it? The liver function, you said the ALT, the AST, the INR, and then looking for signs of hepatic encephalopathy, um, gastrointestinal bleeding, looking for sepsis, or any signs that they're deteriorating into acute liver failure. Absolutely. And those patients that present early do very, very well. Okay. Um, Those that present within eight hours, because IV NAC is so readily available. Yeah. Yeah. it's incredibly rare for them to develop hepatotoxicity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the patients that present late that we do really worry about. Mm-hmm. Okay. And who would you speak to? Would you get gastro involved? I would speak to your local liver unit. Yeah. All right. So where I work, for example, that's Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just ring for advice. Mm-hmm. Also as well, speak to um, the National Poisons Unit. Mm-hmm. They're incredibly helpful. They're more than willing to ask questions. If you're a little bit worried about a patient or you're a little bit unsure about something, they are more than happy to take your call. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you so much for recapping about paracetamol overdose. So what are the key learning points that you want us to take away from that? So keep up to date with the guidelines Mm -hmm. um, because things may well change now over the next few years Mm -hmm. with the introduction of the SNAP regime. Always ask the patient about what they've taken, what they've taken it with. 
when was the last time they ingested any paracetamol? Um, ask how long a period of time they've taken over. So did they take it all within 10 minutes mm -hmm. or has this been spaced over a couple of hours? Um, because these things will guide your actual management for the patient. Mm -hmm. um, and also as well, one thing I think we do really badly actually is when we discharge these people home, we don't really give them advice about when they use paracetamol. That's so true. Yeah, yep, so absolutely. There is actually a really good patient information uh, leaflet available on Talkspace. And it kind of says to the patient, any signs of sort of jaundice, um, feeling unwell, um, it advises them not to take paracetamol for a good couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. But it is actually really important, I think, when we are discharging people, that we just give them some basic sensible common sense advice yeah. about not taking paracetamol for a few weeks. So are there any medications that you advise a patient who's taken a paracetamol overdose when they get home not to take or to avoid? So I would just, anything that would interfere with the liver, basically mm -hmm. anything that might cause deranged LFTs. Mm -hmm. So it would be if they, for example, have picked up an infection, any antibiotics. Yeah. So just remind them about that. Um, things like statins as well. And also, again, another thing I think we're pretty bad at doing, over-the-counter medications. Yes. So any herbal remedies or anything that they might be on that can interact with the liver. Such as St. John's wort. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of medications, going back to medical school, that interact with the cytochrome P450 system. So anything, I guess, so omeprazole, fluconazole, yeah. disulfiram or antibiotics. Yeah, also absolutely. Known. Alcohol. yeah. That's the other big one, alcohol. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the contraceptive pill as well, if I seem to remember rightly, can also interact. So there's quite a few medications that maybe we should warn them about could have an effect on the liver. Absolutely. And we're, we're very bad at asking women if they're on the pill because they say they're not on any regular medication, but they're actually on the pill because they don't think of it as a medicine as mm. such because they, they're not taking it for a condition just for contraceptive purposes. That's a re And it's vitamins as well, isn't it? Yeah, Over -the vitamins. vitamins and lots of things. Yeah. That's a really important learning point. Thank you so much. That's been a really great recap of paracetamol overdose. My pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. And guidelines wise, refer to Talkspace. Yeah, said? refer to, yep. I think the guidelines on Talkspace are absolutely, they're really easy to use. Fantastic. Um, I fully recommend that using some uh, departments have sort of local guidelines, yeah. but they are completely derived from Talkspace. Okay. So we've also mentioned a few sort of papers throughout the podcast. So you will have a link to those references on the RCP podcast website. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Thank you to Neris for joining us today. It was brilliant. And if you want to get in touch, please email at podcasts at rcplondon.ac.uk or you can tweet me at Amy Burbridge. Goodbye.